y'all turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. The song that Robert and Nathan just sang is also appropriate because it talks about how all are welcome, not just at the table of Christ's body and blood, but also all are called. Every single one of us is called to do some great thing in the world for God. Now, I've learned, even though I'm not a real handy guy, I've learned that anytime you do any kind of work, it's important to have the right tool for the job. So if you're tearing out sheetrock, it's handy to have a sledgehammer, pry bar, stuff like that, gloves. But if you're going to repair a, a set of eyeglasses, you need a very different set of tools, don't you? If you go into surgery and you, you walk into that operating room and your doctor is standing there holding a meat cleaver in one hand and a hatchet in the other, you're going to run screaming for the door, and rightly so. A harp and an electric guitar both have strings, but they're used for entirely different purposes. And by the way, if you have a, a two-year-old child or nephew or cousin or friend, if you want to give them a drink, you put it in a sippy cup. But if you're giving a drink to your boss's family or your girlfriend's parents or your next-door neighbors, you put it in a crystal glass. And if you get those two mixed up, there's trouble, right? You know, I've got a theory why men seem to like golf so much. I think it's because of all these tools. You carry this bag full of all these different clubs, and you get to decide which one you want to use. And, you know, you go out, and you, if you're golfing with somebody, you see the guy stand up, and it's the third shot on the par five, and he uses his little distance finder, and he says, we've got, let's say, 147 yards to the hole, and there's a wind in our face. I, I think I'm going to use a five iron. And they all agree, yeah, five iron, five iron. Now, I do not love golf. In fact, I know where they came up with the name for golf. Do you know where the name golf came from? Because all the other four-letter words were taken. So I, I've, got, I've got basically two shots in my golf game. I've got the shot where I swing and I go, okay, that ball's gone. I'll never see it again. And the other shot I have is where I, I swing as hard as I can and then I take two steps and I say, okay, it's still my shot. <laughs> I'm hitting from here. I say that a lot. Still my shot, guys. Still my shot. So um, oh, not long ago, actually last year, probably the last time I played, I was playing with some men from the church and I was, I was once again writing new records for horribleness in golf and, you know, just getting angrier and angrier inside. That's the, that's the great thing about this game. You spend a lot of money and you give up your entire day off and you end up in a terrible mood. So everybody wins. So I'm playing with these men from the church and, and remembering that I'm the pastor so I can't say the things I'm thinking. And, and uh, they're, they're coaching me and they're, they're patient with me and they're so kind because they know I can preach about them if they're not. And, and then on the last hole, one of the men says, hey, why don't you try my driver? So the first shot, I grab his club, and immediately I realize this thing's different. This feels different. This, this feels like it costs something, you know, it costs more than all my clubs. And I hit with it, and I'm not going to say it was the best shot of the day, but it was certainly my best shot. It went straight, and it went, you know, pretty far. I couldn't, like, crawl to the ball. And, and so... It just, it just showed me that the right tool makes a difference. And you can probably see where I'm going with this. If you've been part of this series that we've been talking about, how God takes all kinds of people and He uses them for His purpose. You are the right tool for certain jobs. 
And you don't even have to be a believer in Christ to understand what I'm talking about that. You can look at someone who's a great musician or a great athlete or a great speaker or a great engineer or a great physician and you can say, okay, you were born to do that. God created each of us for a purpose and it goes beyond what we do for a living. You have an opportunity to do things that God's had in mind since long before you were born. And you are custom designed for that purpose. We're looking at today a man named Ananias. We've been looking at some pretty famous people, stories you probably knew before you got here. The story of Ananias is not as familiar because Ananias is not a well-known character. There's actually two characters named Ananias in Scripture, and this one we know very little about. All we know is that he lived in Damascus, Syria, and he was a believer in Jesus. That's it. Don't know where he grew up. Don't know how he came to know Christ. We don't know if he had family or or what his gifts and passions were. All we know is what we're about to read in this story. And as we do, I want you to think about the fact that you are designed for encounters just like what Ananias experiences here. Okay? So let's pick up with verse verse 10 of chapter 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Now, if you've never read the Bible before, you don't know this story, and you're wondering why would this man Ananias be so hesitant to do what God's told him to do, just go and lay your hands on some guy. Imagine you're a fourth grade boy, and there's a kid in your class who is twice the size of every other kid, bigger than the teacher. He's been held back so many times, he he gets his driver's license soon. And he has made it his mission in life to personally pound every boy in the class. And last week he put a beating on Joey and the week before it was little Tommy and you know you're coming up soon. And now the teacher says to you, hey, um, Bubba is in the library working on his reading and he could use a friend. Why don't you walk down there and see if you can help him? And you would say, but ma'am, don't you know what Bubba's doing? Don't you know this is just a ploy to beat the stuffing out of me? This is what Ananias thinks. God, why are you setting me up? I know people who've been put in jail by this man Saul. I know people whose family's been torn apart by him. I know the the anguish he's caused. And we've been watching out for him. We we got word a while back that he was on his way to Damascus because he got tired of beating up on the Christians in Jerusalem. Now he's coming to Damascus. and, And so why would you have me go and place myself in harm's way? but God has a plan. You see, God's plan doesn't always sound easy to us. In fact, oftentimes it's going to sound scary. So just because you hear something and you think, well, I'd rather not do that, that doesn't mean it's not the will of God. God's will isn't always about doing what we want to do. So let's go on. Verse 15, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. We have to put ourselves in that historical context and remember that at that time, there were only a few thousand people who even believed in Jesus. 
And they were all Jewish. And they were all in this tiny little corner of the world. And God had been talking to his people since the time of Abraham about how he wanted to change that, about how he wanted to be the God of all nations, of all people. By the way, anybody here that's not Jewish, like me, not Jewish? Come on, anybody? Yeah. Wake up. You're not Jewish. So, (laughs) you should be glad about this story. This is God saying, all right, we're having fun here in Israel. And, and loving the fact that the Messiah was risen from the dead, but more people need to hear about it. Somebody's got to go. And everybody's thinking, not me, Lord, not me. But this is the one I've chosen. And he's the last one you would have chosen, but he's the one I've chosen. So you, Ananias, have to take him across the finish line of faith so he can do what I created him to do so that millions and millions and millions of people can learn about salvation. And have their eternities change. Verse 17 says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, I don't know what it was that fell off Saul's eyes. Luke describes it as something like fish scales. Some speculate it may have been cataracts, but we don't know that. I don't know what happened to Ananias after this. How much longer did he live? What other things did he do for God? What other people did he win to Christ? We don't know. All I know is this, and this much is amazing to me. Ananias knew who Saul was. He knew what Saul had done and what Saul had been planning to do. He did not know that Saul had met Jesus on the way to Damascus, had seen a vision of the risen Christ, and had repented of his sins, was now fasting in horror for the the shameful things he had done to the people of God. He didn't know any of that. All he knew was this was a man who hates us and wants to kill us. And knowing all of that, this man Ananias walked into his presence and called him brother. Is that amazing? That's the way we're called to live. As God's people, as as Christ's followers, we're called to see even the most hateful people out there and say, yeah, but you're my brother. You're my long lost brother. You're my sister. You You may not have been reconciled to our family, but you belong here. And I love you in the name of our Father. And that's what Ananias did. And the really amazing thing is, You may know this guy Saul by the name of Paul. Now here's the the misnomer. A lot of people think that when Saul became a Christian, he changed his name to Paul. That's not the way it worked. Saul became Paul many years later when he was a member of the church at Antioch. And the members of the church at Antioch said, Hey, um, Saul, why don't you and Barnabas go and take the gospel to places it's never been, to Gentile territories? And Paul, or Saul said, Well, you know, in Gentile territory, they're going to know me by my name Paul because that's the Romanized version of my Jewish name Saul. All that to say that everything Jesus predicted came true. That Saul went out into the world, talked to councils, talked to kings, talked to both Jews and Gentiles, but took the gospel to places it had never been. Took it into Western Europe. Anybody here have their ancestry in Western Europe? That's a good thing. From there, it migrated into the Americas and on into the rest of the world. By the way, God chose the right 
instrument. Surprise, surprise, God knew what he was doing. This guy, Paul, was a Roman citizen. Most of the apostles weren't. That gave him freedoms. That gave him some cachet in society. So he was able to use at various times to increase his abilities. He was also highly educated. Most of the early Christians were not. Most of the early Christians were working class people or slaves. Paul had an education, and therefore he had the ability to put difficult concepts like the concept of grace into words that people could understand. And so he was able to write letters like Romans and Ephesians and Galatians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, that explain to us things that save our souls. He was also formerly a virulent racist. And so he could stand up in front of people who were proudly Jewish who hated Gentiles and say, give up on all that because God loves the Gentiles just as much as He loves us. And he was able to stand up in front of Gentiles and say, I used to hate your guts, but Jesus changed my life. And now He's making two different kinds of people into one. Isn't that amazing? God chose the right tool. And so let me ask you something. Did did Paul's life get better after this? Did it get better? Well, it depends on what you mean by better. Because if you mean, did he suddenly understand that God loved him just as he was and get off that religious treadmill that says, I've got to go to synagogue and I've got to follow all the laws and I've got to beat myself up to be pleasing to God. Did Did he gain a new purpose for his life? Did he gain a new joy, a new ability to forgive others, a new ability to love people who weren't like him? Did he gain this understanding that all his sins are forgiven and he's going to go to heaven when this life was over and everything that God has planned for him is good? Yes. So his life got better. But if you're talking about physical things, material things, short-term things, in many ways, Paul's life got worse. Remember what Jesus said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul would later write in 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7, through For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What he's saying is, we're, we're weak. We're His followers. We're His children. But we're so weak. We're jars of clay. We're easily broken. We mess things up all the time. And, and God chose us for that purpose so that people wouldn't say, wow, God sure chooses some good-looking, smart, resourced people. No, they'll look at us and say, look at all they're able to accomplish. That must be God. And when He uses that term, jars of clay, the word jars in Greek is the very same word that that Jesus used when he was talking to Ananias and he said, he is my chosen instrument. He's my chosen vessel. We're vessels of clay. Paul's life didn't get materially better, at least not in the short term. That's just a reminder to us that just because you're going through rocky times here and there, that doesn't mean you're not doing the will of God. You can be doing God's will and things can get materially worse for a while. Don't let that discourage you. So let's, let's sum up what we know so far. If you've been with us through this series, you can probably say all this with me, but if not, I just want to sum it all up so we're on the same page. Number one, we know you are God's chosen instrument. God custom designed you for a specific purpose. You are His jar of clay created in Christ Jesus for good works that He prepared ahead of time for you to do. Secondly, number two, What He chooses you for has nothing to do with your career, how much money you make, how much stuff you own, how you look, what size your family is, whether you're married or not. His purpose for you has everything to do with the people He brings into your life. 
Because Jesus came and He died and He didn't die for titles and He didn't die for money and He didn't die for political power. He died for human beings. So if you want to know what God's purpose is for your life, the place to start is by taking inventory. Who do I know? Who are the people God has brought into my life? My family, my friends, my acquaintances, my co-workers, my neighbors, the person who cuts my hair, the person who adjusts my back at the chiropractor's office, the nurse at the doctor's office, the, the, the person who, uh, who mows my yard if you pay somebody to do that. Everybody you know, the, the waiter or waitress who waits on you at your favorite restaurant. What do you know about these people? What do you, how much of their walk with God are you aware of? Think about the fact that God brought you into their life to be an encouragement to be a bridge between them and where God wants them to be. That's how you find your purpose when you start living intentionally like that. Number three, His plan might not make sense to you at first. You may think, why, on, why in the world would you choose me for this, God? Number four, following His plan may seem scarier. It's always easy to do nothing than it is to do what God's told you to do. That's a guarantee. Number five, even once you start living out God's purpose, tough things will still continue to happen. We're still part of planet Earth where bad things happen on a regular basis and God's people are not exempt. But number six, if you allow God to use you, eternity will change for the better in ways you cannot possibly foresee. I wonder, I wonder how much Ananias was aware of the historic import of what he was doing that day when he walked up to Saul and he placed his hands on him and he called him brother. I wonder if he had any notion that I'm about to change eternity in what I'm doing here. Can you imagine the fact that a simple conversation you have this week where for the first time in a while or maybe the first time ever you choose to pay attention to a, a person and really listen to what they say and answer prayerfully. And think of yourself as Christ's representative in that relationship. That one conversation you have this week could change the lives of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. I know a man who was an insurance salesman when he was a young man just getting into um, his career. He had a friend who was a devout Christian who would talk to him about God and would pray for him regularly and, and basically let him know, I want you to come to know Christ. And my friend, the insurance salesman, he had been raised in church, but it never really took. And, and so he was, he was friendly with this man, but he didn't really appreciate what was being done for him. And then came the night when he was alone in a hotel room and he just happened to open the drawer and find that Gideon Bible. And just on a whim, I mean, he, the church he grew up in, they didn't even read the Bible, not, not, not for themselves, but for, for whatever reason, he felt led to pull out that, that Gideon Bible and start reading it. And before the night was through, I don't know how long he read, but before the night was through, he asked Jesus to be the Savior of his soul. And I know that story because many years later, he became my Sunday school teacher when I was about 12 years old. And because we, we had such a small church, we only had about four or five Sunday school classes in the whole church, he was my Sunday school teacher from the age of 12 all the way till I graduated high school. And then some years later, when I, when I 
realized that God had called me into the ministry and Carrie and I moved to Fort Worth for seminary, he sent me a card and in the card was $35. And he said, listen, I feel led to send you money every month as long as you're in seminary. And so it was like clockwork. Every month he would send me a check for $35. And you may think, well, that's not much, but we were po. I mean, we weren't even poor. We couldn't afford the O and the R. So we were just po and, you know, kind of like my sense of humor. And so $35, especially in the mid-90s, that made a difference. We looked forward to that every month. And I remember a few years ago when I wrote him a letter and just said, thank you, all these years later, thank you for all that you invested in me. Now get this, I don't know the name of the guy who witnessed to my friend. I don't know the name of the Gideon that placed the Bible in his hotel room. But both of those men did something years and years ago that impacted my life. They would never have thought that they were going to do something that would have something to do with the person who would someday be the pastor of First Baptist Conroe. But they impacted his life. He impacted my life. I'm impacting your life by God's will. Do you see how it works? You don't know the ripple effects of the conversations you will have this very week if you're prayed up, if you're intentional, if you choose to not just be a person, but to be God's chosen instrument. And if you're saying, well, what if I say no? What if I, what if I back down? Well, what, what would have happened if Ananias would have been even more stubborn than Jonah who we looked at last week? What if Ananias would have been like, I'm not talking to Saul. I don't care what you do to me, God. I think I know what would have happened. God would have chosen someone else. Our salvation does not rest on the decision of a human being. God can use anyone He wants to. He can hit a long drive with the wrong club. He can play a great tune on the wrong instrument. He can do whatever He wants to do. We would still have heard about Jesus if, if Ananias had said no, but we never would have heard about Ananias. And Ananias would have missed the opportunity of a lifetime to be part of God's work. So, it's not like people's souls depend on your obedience. But the significance of your life and the joy you experience does depend on your obedience. It, it comes down to this. The story of humanity is that God looked down on, on a human race that was sick and broken and dying, and God being the ultimate surgeon said, I know exactly the instrument it will take to fix What's wrong with you? And so Jesus came into the world for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus came as God in human flesh. He, he chose Himself as the instrument it would take. And He knew from the very beginning what He'd come to do. He told His disciples right from the start. He said, I am the Good Shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have come to be a ransom for many. I did not come to be served but to serve and to give my life. To seek and to save the lost. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to Myself. And the day came when they did lift Him up on that old rugged cross. And that day He destroyed sin and death forever. Because He took that incurable disease, the disease of sin that afflicts every single one of us, and He became sin. And so God's wrath was poured out on Him and not on us. So He blew up sin and death from the inside. And that's why every relationship in your life matters. 
eternally. That's why every conversation you have echoes throughout eternity. That's why every prayer you pray makes Satan tremble. That's why every act of kindness you perform changes this world a little bit more into the kingdom of God. So this week, let's go. Let's choose to be the chosen instruments of God.